Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of season three of Movable Dough. I am so excited to be with you again after the summer break, and I am super delighted to begin this season by welcoming composer Kurt Heineke. Kurt is best well known for his work creating iconic music for the VeggieTales franchise. He has multiple gold and platinum CDs and dozens of platinum selling videos. Kurt has been awarded seven Dove Awards for music production. At the 2002 Inspirational Life Awards, he won Children's Album of the Year for Silly Songs with Larry. He is now writing music for the CBN series Superbook, for a new series Wing Feather Saga, and several other projects. I could go on and on and on, but I will just say, Kurt Heineke, welcome to Movable Dough. <laughs> That's a pretty good Larry the Cucumber. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <What's remember>. <laughs> now you're As not going to stay like that the whole no, no, interview, no. right? <laughs> uh, you might have gathered that my family and I are huge VeggieTales fans, especially the music. I'm absolutely ecstatic to talk with you today. Uh, so we will talk about your work with Big Idea Entertainment in a moment, uh, but I wanted to start by going back to the beginning. I understand that you come from a musical family, uh, and so I, first of all, I want to know where you grew up, and second, I want to know about your musical family and the influences you got from them. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, grew up, born in Wisconsin, grew up in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, right outside Milwaukee, and uh, uh, my parents, my, my mom was a choir director, organ player at church, uh, voice and piano teacher. My dad played cello and sang in the choir. He actually, during World War II, he played in an orchestra with the occupying forces in Tokyo, Japan. It was half um, military and half local civilians during the occupying. And he played for U.S. Oak shows there. Wow. So that was a cool story. Uh, I have two older brothers. Uh, 10 and 12 years older than I am. And they were both both musicians. One's a trumpet player, one's a flute player. Um, whole family of educators. I always kind of looked up to my brothers. They were old enough that, that we didn't have a lot of sibling rivalry, rivalries. And so it was just around music, grew up, you know, in the church. And, and then as I got older, I grew up singing bass next to my dad, kind of learning how to sing next to him in the choir. And it just, you know, picked up the trumpet in junior high and started playing that. But I always was dabbling in sounds and electronic music and tape recorders and those sorts of things. So even though I, I practically uh, grew up as a trumpet player and then I got into music education and became a band director and a music teacher, on the side, I was always listening to the my Star Wars uh cd well no it was a track it was a track at the time you know i just listened to that score over and over never thinking oh i could be a composer one day <laughs> never thought about that but it was always playing dabbling and arranging and and that sort of stuff um probably well it started in junior high i tried to do a i forgot about this i tried to do a arrangement of star wars for our junior high pep band or jazz band 
which was terrible because I put like the string lines and the trumpets and things that just were <laughs> not playable at all. But it was a fun experience. Yeah. So eventually I know you moved down to the south. So when when did that move happen? Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> actually, junior high, I moved to Alabama, uh, moved with my family uh, business and ended up spending 10 years in Alabama. Then uh, headed back up, finished my schooling at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. And then after a short stint of teaching the Bahamas, I ended up being a band director in the Chicago area, met my wife, uh, lived in Chicago for 15 years, kind of assumed we would just always be living there, um, retire there, that sort of thing, because that's where big idea started. But then a uh, big idea in one of their moves, um, moved down to the Nashville area, to Franklin. So I've been now in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville for the last 18 years and just love it down here. Can't, even though we've got a lot of family up in the Midwest, it's just a, it's just a great melting pot of creative people, both visually and all the medias, obviously music, but a lot of stuff going on with film and video down here also. So it's, it's just a perfect place for me to be working or not working, depending on the week as a freelance musician <laughs> and composer. Sure. Well, in addition to being a composer, you, you are a very versatile uh, player as well. You mentioned uh, playing trumpet and I know you record a lot <clears throat> of your own compositions, either using synthesized sound or acoustic instruments. Uh, so it was trumpet your first instrument or you started on piano or what? Well, yeah. Okay. I started on piano. My mom was my piano teacher, which I, not that it was bad, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> um, but then trumpet was my first, like, oh, I have a real interest in this. And my older brother, being a trumpet player, kind of started me on trumpet one summer. And that was where it really took off. Um, and so trumpet was my main, definitely my main instrument. And then voice in college, I've got a double, not double major, but I'm certified to teach band and choral for my college experience. But like I said, I... I only took a few electronic music and composition courses, but that was the thing that always, I was always dabbling in. Uh, Wendy Carlos's Switched On Bach was a huge influence on me growing up. I listened to that all the time. I started dabbling and had a friend's four-track reel-to-reel recorder and a, a, a couple of friends' monophonic synthesizers, and I tried creating my own Switched On Bach four-part inventions and that sort of stuff. It sounds better than the technique I was using. I would record myself singing on one tape, then play on that tape while I recorded on another tape. And oh yeah, by the time I got to the end, the first voice was completely muffled. You couldn't understand sure. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I get, I get it. So I read that in junior high, you and your friends actually started a jazz band called Death Star. So I, yes. I assume this is, is Star Wars related. And is that well, the group that you were trying their Star Wars arrangements on? No, actually, we I, I'm trying to remember what we played. It was only a trio. It was just trumpet, saxophone and trombone. And they ended up being my good buddies all the way through high school. And we did a lot of music together, uh, Phil and Travis. Uh, but we were playing at the, the Halloween party at the local elementary school. And they needed a, a name for us. And Star Wars had just come out. And we thought, Death Star, that sounded cool. And <laughs> and it was, you know, uh, it was for a Halloween party. So, yeah. So for one gig, we were Death Star. 
Nice. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your degree from Luther College, uh, mm -hmm. a BA uh, in band and choral conducting. Uh, so how did that degree sort of take you into composition? What were you learning about instruments and voice that eventually led you to composition? Yeah, it's funny because I was always, you know, I've worked, used this word dabbling. I was always dabbling in different things. Um, so I think, first of all, playing in band kind of all my life and then choir, it gives you a chance to hear lines of music, uh, the music, musicality of, a, of an ensemble, how to phrase, how to breathe especially in singing. Um, and then when I brought that into composition, especially in my world where I do a lot of my stuff electronically, I'm still thinking about the phrase of a line and where would this horn breathe and those sorts of things. Um, it was growing up in church and play, being a trumpet player, my mom being the choir director in a Lutheran church, there started to be chances of, hey, would you play trumpet with your brother at Christmas or at Easter? And then we'd start playing on hymns. And then we'd start, you know, doing descants, playing other embellishing parts on the hymns. And I started hearing those. And that's kind of where I started like, oh, okay, I can come up with my own descant. I can look at the harmonization of this hymn and create a descant, develop, you know, based on, on these harmonizations very basic stuff, but it's, but I got to do that over and over. And then a couple more brass players would come in and, oh, okay, let me write a, a trio intro to this hymn. And so it just started happening organically when I had the chances to do it. And then in high school, we had a, had a couple buddies of mine, uh, four or five of us, we were the jazz bros. We started doing some Dixieland music and we'd start finding stuff on, old albums that we'd listen to and lift. And uh, it really was just happening organically. It was one of those things where you just end up doing what you enjoy doing and doing it in your spare time. And uh, in college, um, I ended up working in um, electronic music. I was working in an electronic music studio. And then uh, I'm sorry, this is a long answer to this question, but then, <laughs> you know, I got into, I was a band director for a couple of years, but then while I was a band directing, I got involved in a contemporary church because they had a need for some vocal coaching, some leading of the choir and the worship team. And then I got to work with the band. It was a little more contemporary church. But then the cool thing was during the offerings, the offertory was just a wide open space. And I started you know, one Sunday I'd do a piccolo trumpet and our pianist would do a harpsichord sound and I'd do a, you know, a trumpet tune, a classical Telemann trumpet tune. And then the next week we'd take a hymn and maybe I'd do sort of a new agey slash jazz arrangement of it and have one of our instrumentalists play a solo over it. And so it, it kind of gave me this, this canvas to just, hey, each week I can do a, a two minute little arrangement. And and that kind of got the juices flowing and I enjoyed yeah. doing that. And it was in that church that the founders of VeggieTales were attending. And as they were starting to create the company, they were like, you know, we don't have the budget to go get a name 
big name down in Nashville. Kurt, are you interested in helping us out? And not knowing what we were getting into, I jumped at the opportunity. So it, it really started as arranging more than writing because Mike and Phil, who are Bob and Larry, had a really good sense of some melodic hooks that they'd start with. And then I'd kind of develop those and develop them into full-fledged songs. And then it became arranging those. And then as the shows got a little bigger, hey, we need some score. We need some under some a bed of music here. And I started dabbling in that. If, boy, if you go back to, you know, show one, two, three, I mean, there was some embarrassing stuff back then of, of both my compositional skills and the sounds that I was using. Because, I mean, this was just the start of synthesizers and not the start of synthesizers, but, you know, sequencing and samplers and all of these things uh, were pretty cutting edge back then. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in how Mike and Phil sort of pitched the idea to you. I, I imagine them coming to you and say, okay, imagine there's a cucumber <laughs> who's friends with a tomato and they sing about God. Can you do this? I mean, and by the way, how, they did, how any, do they pitch? <laughs> and by the way, they don't have any clothes. They don't have any <laughs> right. limbs. Um, I'm like, yeah, right. This is going to go over well. Um, you know, I, the funny thing is, I don't remember thinking that that was an odd pitch. The reason I say that is because Phil, especially, he was really the, the uh, business side of driving this vision. He had a, huge vision for this it wasn't just oh let's do a couple little goofy songs with a veg with vegetables it was you know what let's let's change the world you know with through humor and through good storytelling that happens to be telling good lessons and and i was just very struck by both of their sincerity and and me wanting to just kind of dabble in in all of these things i just jumped at the chance to to be creative, whatever it was. And sure. it was funny because for the first, you know, couple years, I'd say, I mean, it was, it was very dry. You know, there wasn't, wasn't a lot of income coming in. I was working at a church, so I had a, a little bit, well, I had a steady income. So I was one of the last ones to get paid. And my dad would see like, you know, is this, is this a smart choice? I mean, you're putting a lot of time into this and you're really not seeing any financial fruits of it. And I, I just had a good feeling about the people that I was working with because Phil and Mike were just top-notch creatively and visionary and um, wanting to just spread their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your work with uh, VeggieTales and 321 Penguins uh, and other projects with big ideas fascinating to me because you get to be this musical chameleon. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you get to write in so many different genres from... <laughs> polka to boy band to barbershop to full symphonic works uh and i know it's hard to pick but is there a a style or something that you sort of consider your favorite thing to work on well i will say as a big picture um one of the joys of that has been i've never thought of it as a kid's product mm -hmm. i've always written my music very legitimately and sincerely and so I don't think of, oh, I got to write another little kid song. No, I, I get to write an authentic polka and an authentic, you know, whatever style we're in, boy band. Okay, so for Belly Button, you know, I borrowed at the time our babysitter's CDs because she was into all these boy bands. So I studied, okay, what's the harmonic structure? What, what are the vocals doing? What are the sounds they're using? 
And now let's try to create a legitimate, legitimate boy band song. So that was my challenge. And I enjoy that because then I get people like you saying, oh, man, I love the music as opposed to, <laughs> you know, the barnification of, oh, I hate, oh, I hate that song. I can't stand it. So and you know what? Mike and Phil said the same thing. You know, we're really writing for ourselves. What makes us laugh? And um, and then the step beyond that is, you know, Larry takes himself. Let's take a silly song. Larry takes himself seriously. He doesn't see any humor in this. He's just telling a story. So my music is reflecting Larry's perspective of it. This is legit a tango for Barbara Manatee. It's the audience on the outside looking in and seeing the absurdity of this that makes it funny. So I don't need to write necessarily absurd music. I need to write legit music to follow Larry's legit storytelling. And it's us on the outside that see a limbless cucumber singing. And that's where <laughs> the humor comes in. So stylistically, um, you know, I some of the silly songs I love just because they've, yeah, Belly Button is one of my favorites. Uh, I think because I, you know, it was really creative. Mike is a creative genius when it comes to, he, he has always said, you know, the most successful silly song works on two levels. There's the, there's the humor at the kids level, but there's some sort of struggle at the adult level also, you know, the hairbrush song is classic. Kids don't understand, you know, a guy's uh, <laughs> fear of losing his hair and not needing a hairbrush and all that sort of stuff. So that, that connects at two levels. Um, uh, belly button, you know, that was a, that was a good example. If you're asking for examples, asking for me to pick out my favorite child, um, belly button, you know, is one of those. Cause it was just very creative and, and uh, a lot of fun to work with. I think I, um, you know, songwriting and I don't, I don't do the, I mean, all of veggie tales. I'm a co-writer. I don't write the lyrics. I co-write the music and then I produce all the music, arrange it, perform it. Um, and, you know, um, songs, songwriting, and this doesn't just go with VeggieTales, it's, it's a shot in the dark. You never really know which one is going to be the hit. We didn't know Hairbrush was going to be the, the most <laughs> popular silly song of them all. We, it's just another silly song for us. And, um, and then another one that we just pour our heart and soul into, that didn't quite take off. So, you know, it's hard to, to really figure out what's going to work with that. Um, I think for myself personally, I enjoy the challenge of score writing as I've done more of that. Um, just the blending of the sounds, the depth of that, the, uh, for me, you know, cause I don't get to work with full orchestras very much. The challenge of tricking the audience into thinking they're hearing something more than they are. You mm -hmm. know, it's just me in my studio picking up a couple instruments and, and playing some sounds on a keyboard, but you know, it needs to sound like a full orchestra or it needs to sound like this Dixieland band or, and, and I like that challenge. I like the subtlety of that. And um, so, um, so I, yeah, I, that's a roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> no, that's great. So you've received countless honors and recognitions because of your work, uh, but outside of these honors, what has been your most memorable experience working with big idea? Um. Uh, I think the two big pictures would be the legacy that it's left um, over the years. And the legacy is because it's changed people's lives. Um, just 
uh, the effect that it's had on people. You know, I go in to speak at a college these days, and especially if it's a, a private, smaller college, um, you know, I'm a rock star for the day because all these music majors come up like, oh my gosh, I grew up on your stuff. <laughs> I've had more than one tuba player say, I picked up the tuba because of Larry the Cucumber. You know, that's, <laughs> that's me playing the tuba on the theme song because, you know, Larry doesn't have hands, so I'm a stunt double. So I need to play that for him. So, uh, you know, those sorts of things are very, <laughs> you know, it just puts a smile on my face. And so the legacy of knowing that for the rest of my life, there will be people that are familiar with the VeggieTales body of work is, uh, you know, I mean, that's mind boggling and humbling. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I feel good about. And it's, it's fun that people don't know who I am. I mean, they don't recognize me. Uh, they don't know who I am. So it's fun to be in, in areas where I just, you know, keep a low profile and <laughs> until somebody else says something and then somebody's eyes light up and, and then there's this connection and it's, it's just fun to talk about, you know, uh, connected memories that I've created for them. And I understand oh, yeah. that because, you know, the music that I grew up with, you know, I've had a chance to meet a few of my musical heroes and, and I have that feeling towards them. You know, that was 30 years ago that they wrote this song and I like that still, you know, that was a huge influence on me. And, you know, they're like, yeah, well, that was 30 years ago. I've moved on from there, but thanks. <laughs> and so I get it, you know, yeah. There's stuff that I wrote 25 years ago that, you know, has influenced people for generations. So yeah, that's, that's very fun and rewarding. All right. Well, we're going to be able to talk about some of your other projects as we listen to some music in the second half. Uh, but I did want to talk about one project you're working on. You mentioned to me in an email that you're working with a relief group outside of Jordan, uh, writing a lot of Middle Eastern music for them. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell me about this organization and how you got involved with them. Yeah, um, involvement, first of all, so much um, of what I do is through word of mouth. Um, that's one of those things that I talk when I talk to music, music students and college students about, unlike, let's say, the classical world where, hey, you've got to be, you know, the best trumpet player gets the first chair position or music education. Hey, your music degree gets your foot in the door to get a teaching job. In this world of, of composition and, excuse me, a lot of musicians in Nashville, you have to be really good at what you do. But secondly, you have to have connections. Uh, the word of mouth, this, hey, this buddy, you know, played with me on this or wrote for this. He's great. Uh, you need to use him for this. That's, that happens all the time. So this was another one of those where, you know, there was a connection from somebody that I had written for in the past. And they said, oh, I think you know, Kurt would be a good one to write on the, mm -hmm. for this. So I was contacted by them. It's a, it's a, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's a smaller project for me because it's not a, I'm writing a, a, just a couple minutes of music for each episode, but I've told them it's one of my most rewarding things I get to do because it's a, it's a, it's a group that's based out of Amon Jordan who um, Amon Jordan has um, I was actually over there two years ago and one of the people there said, you know, half the people here in Amman are refugees. Mm -hmm. And I, we think it's, it's part of our mission is, is to reach these refugees while they're here from, you know, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, countries like that. 
And, but there's a lot of mental health issues. There's a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from whether it's, it's a war-torn nation or being pulled from your home or losing a, a father or a family member. And so there's a, a group that has put together a curriculum that is taught and shown in some of the camps that helps these kids deal with how to come to grips with what they've gone through. And part of that curriculum is a, is a short, I think it's maybe a 10 minute video for each of the lessons that tells the story of this, this one boy, Celine, who, who came out of a, we don't know exactly, but came out of some sort of trauma. His, his father uh, has died and, and he obviously has some uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and just how he deals with coming to grips with that and acclimating to a new country and new friends. And so, and it, this is written for refugees and for young kids. And so to be able to tackle something as heavy as that in an animated form, and, and I'm writing music for that, and they wanted a lot of it either in a cinematic film style or in a Middle Eastern style. And so that was a challenge for me but I've been I've been writing a lot of Middle Eastern style music for some of the other projects I work on also and just like any other style it's a lot of studying it listening to the, the professionals that do it in their homes and you know listening to the styles and finding what makes you know the, the chords and the instruments and the rhythms and all of that what makes that style music that style music and so that's what I've been doing and it's it's been really rewarding to see these stories come together. And also we've heard some of the first videos were sort of test marketed in two different uh, refugee camps. And they had, they kind of kept notes of, okay, how did the kids react? They loved the stories. And they had some comments specifically that the music really was, they really loved the music. And that's, I mean, that's so rewarding to me to hear, okay, the music that I'm writing for this series is helping tell the stories and it's, it's being impactful to these refugee kids, exactly the ones we're trying to reach. So that's that's been very rewarding to be able to write on something like that. Know that I'm I'm having an impact somewhere. Yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad. All right. Well, lastly, before we take a break, I would like to ask you also about your photography. Because um, I, I know you are an avid photographer, a professional photographer. So where did the interest in photography start? Yeah, I've. My dad was a photographer. I mean, not nothing professional, but I've seen some cool pictures that he he did back in his college days, and it kind of inspired me. I started just really dabbling in photography in college and out of college. And then um, in Chicago, I had a friend who worked with the air the big air show in Chicago, and he's like, "Hey, I've got I've got a connection to some of the pilots that are coming in. They'd like some pictures of their planes." He got me quote unquote backstage where there was um, not, not regular attendees could, could get as close to the, the uh, ground zero of the air show. And, and I invested in a little bit of digital photography equipment and really upped my game, you know, taking pictures of airplanes and stuff. And that led to my kids in marching band. I started taking pictures of them and I mean, thousands of pictures of the whole band and, just honing my skills. And then I got, I wanted to just keep growing. And I read a, every book I could get my hands on. I 
met a local photographer who was a wedding photographer and I kind of became his apprentice and then became his assistant and then started shooting lead for some of his weddings. And it's just grown from there. And then because of my connections here in Nashville with a lot of the music industry, again, connections, I was able to, you know, some of these artists knew me from VeggieTales and, and I'd offer to photograph a local concert and they'd say, sure. And, you know, I'd do that occasionally free at the beginning and I'd get some good pictures, show them. They'd be like, wow, these are good. Can I use these? And, and then that opens up more doors and, and eventually then that becomes... I'm, I'm a go-to photographer for a lot of the uh, names in Nashville and, and I'm shooting for the Nashville Symphony a lot and um, I do with some cruises and that sort of stuff. But it's, it's again, um, connections, then word of mouth and then presenting a good product. Um, and I just, it's a fun little balance to what I do musically. It's, it's hard for me to sit still and it's hard for me to just take up a hobby that doesn't I was thinking about this the other day. I think I want to not waste my time. And so if my hobby happens to be photography and it can serve other people, whether it's, I mean, there's, there's something special about, okay, I have a chance to document something live that nobody else is documenting and will never happen again, whether it's a wedding or a concert or a special you know, concert, that's a reunion of somebody. And I get to document that that's, that's, the challenge that I find in that it's kind of like a going on a safari and uh, uh, being a game hunter. And, you know, not that I support that, but you know, what game did you get? Or if you're a photographer on a safari, Oh, I want to capture a picture of that giraffe and that elephant. Well, that's, that's like me. Okay. Here's the artist. I want to capture pictures of that artist. And that's, that's the challenge. So I just love it. It's, it's a fun little side job for me. And yeah, it does help pay for some of the bills. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have a chance to listen to some of Kurt's music. Awesome. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Kurt Heineke. So let's start today with Belly Button from VeggieTales. (laughs) (laughs) So you talked about the piece earlier. This is actually the first um, silly song I ever heard. Uh, my oldest kids, who are now 20 and 18, were really little. And some of our friends lent us the VHS tape of The Ballad of Little Joe, uh, which tells the story of Joseph in Egypt. And suddenly, in the middle of the show, there's this silly song segment. And we were hooked at once. So uh, first of all, could you tell us a little bit more about writing silly songs in general? Uh, and then about Belly Button in particular. So I don't forget it. I have to remember one of my favorites lines and there's the your umbilical equivocal is up on your head <laughs> that's one of our favorites that out there. <laughs> and because uh, i know i if i start talking about this other stuff i'm going to forget that um so silly songs in general mike naraki uh the larry the cucumber the, the one of the two creative driving forces of veggie tales um just always along with phil but mike just has absurd ideas swimming through his head at times and a lot of times they come out in the form of, hey, that could be a good silly song. And so he will, he'll start crafting a story. Um, I mean, and again, these are well-crafted stories. I think of the cheeseburger song, another one of my favorites. <laughs> you know, that started out as Larry's, it was a love song to the teller, not the teller, but the order taker at the drive through window. 
And then he said, well, what if it wasn't a love story to her? What if it was to the cheeseburger itself? So, the, you know, that's where his line of absurdity goes. So uh, belly button, I don't know exactly how that started um, other than the fact that gourds don't have belly buttons. And, um, and he has to, you know, break that news to his girlfriend. <clears throat> and, um, but we decided, or he decided, you know, what if we did it in a boy band style? And so that's, that was one of the reasons I enjoyed the song, just that challenge of, okay, I've never written a legit boy band song before. So what does that mean? So, you know, the synthesizer sounds, the drum beats, the, the way the vocals interact. Uh, so with my choral background, that was a fun challenge. It's like, okay, we've got a four-piece boy band. I'm going to write four-part harmonies, and I'm going to have to teach them to singers, character singers. You know, this was Mike and Phil and Lisa Vischer doing junior. Um, that, you know, some of them sing, some of them can carry a melody, but not necessarily read a part or stick to a harmony let alone in a character voice so then you know my choral background comes into play and my music education background comes into play about okay what's the most effective way to teach this part to this character mm -hmm. you know da, 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 whatever and get all those parts laid out and then uh pieced together and edited so all of those you know behind the scenes challenges were great fun and then just the absurdity of the song and the fact that we're treating it like a boy band song and doing it as legitimately as we can and then we've got yeah you know, that little drum break in the middle with Khalil comes out and he does the rap and yeah and he talks about the you know you don't have a belly button but the umbilical equivocal is up there on your head <laughs> i mean i just don't think you know lyrical writing gets any better than that and i had nothing to do with that part but that's just genius and you can't tell me it's not. And so that's why I enjoy working with these guys. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a moment. We're going to listen to the belly button song. This is performed by the fabulous boys in the sink. Uh, <laughs> Larry, the cucumber, uh, Mr. Lunt, uh, Jerry Gord and junior asparagus. All right. So here we go. Never heal. 
to you he appeals There's something missing in my middle and it's hard to ignore There's this thing about himself he's never told you before Maybe he needs to tell you something I don't got a family but Tell me but Oh I need oh. to tell you something Have you figured out he don't got a belly button Belly button no All right, well, let's next turn to Walking Rocks. So this comes from the full-length animated film, The Pirates Who Don't Do Anything, which was also created after characters from a silly song, uh, but then blown into a, a full-length movie. So this must have been a fun project since it gave you a chance to work with a live orchestra to create a sweeping cinematic score. So tell us about this project and this song in particular, Walking Rocks. Yeah, this was from uh, Pirates Who Don't Do Anything, which was our second full-length animated feature film. And those those were highlights for me because, I mean, this means I I got to write store for a movie, a real movie, and then record it with a real orchestra. Um, Jonah, we used a 60-piece orchestra in Seattle. Um, Pirates Who Don't Do Anything, we used an 80-piece orchestra in Prague, uh, Czech Republic, which a lot of music is coming out of there now. And so just that opportunity to get to write is, you know, that's everybody's dream that's a composer or wants to be a film composer. So, yeah, that was something that was a great memory of mine. I'll never forget that. And we typically, you know, my writing process in that is I would, my goal is to, is to write a minute of music a day. Well, first of all, I'd sit down with the director. In that case, it was Mike Naraki. We'd talk through the, the upcoming scene. There'd probably be some, there might be some temp music, which means uh, most films do that where they'll drop in some music. Maybe it's Star Wars, you know, hey, here's a battle scene. It's got this tempo. It's got this energy. So we're going to drop in a cue from Star Wars. And now that's the reference. I go, OK, that's that's the style. That's the tempo. That's the size of the orchestra. But I'm now writing my own stuff. But that's that helps the animators understand the pacing of the scene and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. So we had a very energetic you know, scene here where they're discovering this island and literally the rocks come to life. And so I, I don't remember what I was referencing, but it was very high energy and all these hits and, and um, 
So it was just fun to write in that style and write for full orchestra and all these, you know, drum beats. And a lot of that actually was enhanced. I would fill out a lot of the drum stuff afterwards with, with my own sampled drums and that sort of stuff. And then at the end, uh, towards the end of that cue where we start referencing, um, we are the pirates who don't do anything. We are the pirates who don't do anything. You hear that take a little peek into the score, which is fun to, to use some of that. And then we bring in some slide guitar and, and picked guitar as it kind of, you know, takes off into a country bluegrass feel, um, you know, but still the full orchestra is playing there. So yeah, just those challenges and then being able to hear your writing performed by an orchestra is obviously very special. And I don't take that for granted. All right. Well, I have seven kids, so we don't go to the movies often, but Pirates yeah. Who Don't Do Anything was one that we made sure we actually all went to go see together. So it's a very special memory in our family. All right. So we're going to listen to Walking Rocks performed here by the Prague Symphony. rocks look at us we're walking rocks we don't wear any shoes or socks la 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 George
All right, let's talk now about The Hill. This is from the Superbook series that you've mm. worked on. We haven't talked much about your work with the Superbook series yet. Uh, I watched the trailer the other night and was really intrigued. So could you explain the series and how this song fits into it? Yeah, uh, Superbook is a series uh, put out by CBN um, that, yeah, you don't hear about it as much here in the States because there's it's not uh, sold as prominently here but it's got a lot of worldwide distribution and it's, it's basically five uh, seasons of episodes. Uh, I think 13 episodes per season covering all of the primary uh, Bible stories, both the old and new Testament and just telling them in as most realistic uh, historically accurate fashion as they can uh, just to inform and educate kids about, okay, here's, here's the lessons in the Bible. And, and they always go back. It's a, um, a cast of characters who are living actually a little bit, not, not in our day, but actually a little bit further out. I don't even remember if it's 50 years or a hundred years out from us. So they have a, a robot that lives with them and they uh, are swept into these stories. They're dealing with a, a um, modern day dilemma and then they're swept back in time and are plopped into this Bible story that they actually experience. And then it, it, helps them understand a, a life lesson about about forgiveness or being kind to somebody or loving each other or whatever that may be that then they come back to their modern time and realize okay here was the lesson that was learned and how we need to apply it um but it's unlike veggie tales it's kind of the opposite end of extreme it's it's very dramatic um very rich music um they were always referencing big you know uh, when I say referencing meaning for my temp scores, big, you know, Hans Zimmer or John Williams or some of these other big score composers uh, to just really bring out the drama in these stories. Mm -hmm. And so that was the fun challenge for me, because in this case, it's only me writing the music and creating the music. So I've got to use my, I've got a large computer workstation with a, many, many sample libraries in it that can create, all the different sounds of the orchestra and along with everything else. But then I've got a studio here with oh, over a hundred instruments of, I've got brass instruments and Irish whistles and ethnic flutes and all these sorts of things. So the challenge there for me is, okay, let's bring all this together and create this sonic uh, scene that takes us out of, Oh, it's just a guy plunking at a synthesizer, but it takes us into that story. So again, with score, you're always enhancing the story. It's never about you specifically. So in this case, this was a very dramatic scene because it was depicting Jesus carrying his cross himself up the hill of Golgotha before he was crucified. So um, it was a very dramatic scene, and there's it ebbs and flows with the uh, uh, dynamics and with the emotion of it. So this piece uh, is written for that, and uh, but it's a very... I feel when I listen to it, I don't necessarily picture that scene. It's, it can apply to many different emotions in life. But, you know, in this case, as an example, this is a, everything here that you hear is myself performed. And I think you hear an, a whistle or an Irish whistle, which in this case sounds like an ethnic flute uh, at the beginning or at the end. There's a little bit of live trumpet, but then everything else you hear is me at the keyboard working with my sample libraries all right well let's take a moment and we're going to listen to the hill from the superbook series 
All right, our last piece today is My Love Has Gone Across the Sea from the Wingfeather Saga. Uh, so this is a for a new series, Andrew Peterson's Wingfeather Saga. Uh, so I understand that this is a tune that Andrew wrote, and then you created the fully realized version of the melody, correct? Yeah. So the, the neat thing about this is Andrew Peterson is both a very prolific Christian songwriter and also a very prolific um, fantasy storybook uh, writer. And they they don't necessarily meet, meaning... All the a lot of the kids that buy his books, you think of it, Tolkien, or a lot of these fantasy stories that have a good, strong moral lesson of some sort, battle of good and evil, and these new worlds with new creatures and stuff. That's what we're talking about here. The kids that love those books, which is uh, junior high, that whole range, they don't even know he's a songwriter. And the people that love his songs, a lot of them don't even realize he's an author. So he has written uh, several books now uh, that have been very popular in the Wingfeather Saga series. And we have now gotten, um, we've done fundraising and we've built up the interest to create uh, an animated series of these stories that will be coming out sometime next year we're we're just starting on them but part of that process was we did create a 12 minute short film that that you can find on on youtube just look up wing feather saga and you'll find the short film that i scored um along with uh some other musicians and um but also one of the songs that was used in the show andrew had written this song just a beautiful haunting love song uh, that's sort of a, a, a woman that talks about her husband has, has gone off to sea. And and it's just a very hauntingly beautiful love song that he wrote, that he performs in concert sometimes on his guitar. And his daughter, Sky sings on it. Just a beautiful, angelic voice. Well, they wanted to take that song that they had already written, take her vocals, and now give it the treatment as if it was in a movie a cinematic treatment of it so so that was my challenge i had basically i had her melody already recorded and then i didn't even listen i purposely didn't listen to the original that andrew had done because i didn't want to just copy his chords i wanted to be inspired in my own way of how would i interpret this and therefore in in that way removing it a little bit more from his acoustic uh, folk version of it and give it more of a cinematic feel so that's mm -hmm. that's what we did here i did not write the the tune or the lyrics but then i took that and fashioned the whole framework of it which is all the instruments and, and the arrangement and the chords and again i think here um same thing i think there's a little bit of irish whistle on here and maybe some trumpet and that's about it uh, other than everything else that i've created in my computer system yeah, well, it you definitely ca captured that fantasy Middle Earthian type feel. I beautiful piece. Oh uh, well, and this one also you can find on YouTube. With uh, they've done a lyric video of it. Mm -hmm. So if you look up "My Love Has Gone Across the Sea," uh, you'll find it on YouTube. If you want to see some of the visuals for it too. All right. Well, let's listen to "My Love Has Gone Across the Sea" from the Wingfeather Saga.
All right, so Kurt, what are you working on now? You've got seven thousand different projects that you're always working on. <laughs> what are you? What's sort of on the docket for you? Okay, so um, I just mentioned Wing Feather Saga, which is something that I know that I'll be working on this next year. But that might not get started. You know, people don't realize with an animated series, oh, we've got approval for this. Well, that means maybe a year from now you're going to see something because you know they have to come up with the script, they have to finalize the script, then they have to record all the voices, um, then they, well, come up with the script, then they storyboard it, they kind of create what's the story gonna look like, um, then they record all the voices, then they create a timeline of the voices so that, uh, because unlike live acting, um, animation is very expensive. You don't just take, hey, let's take 10 different versions of the scene and then we'll pick the favorite later. No, you you pretty much have to design the scene that you want, and that's what you animate because you don't you don't have the budget to reanimate something. Right. So they've recorded the vocals. Now they can build a timeline for the story. Then they can start animating it, and then once the animation is done and approved, then I can see the whole story in its continuous timeline, and that's when I can start writing the score. So even though we've got the green light on the Wing Feather Saga, I might not be writing score for it until a year from now. Um, so I've got that coming up. Mike Naraki, a.k.a. Larry the Cucumber, has a fantastic new series coming up called The Dead Sea Squirrels. Not the Dead Sea Squirrels, but the Dead Sea Squirrels, which, again, it's in typical Mike fashion. I'm hooked at the title. It's a story of um, an archaeologist and his family that are discovering in the caves uh, in the Middle East, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, his son is with him, and he finds in one of these caves two petrified squirrels that have uh, been basically they've been um, dried from the salt of the Dead Sea. So they're um, what would you what would that name be? It's like beef jerky, you know, it's salted. <laughs> <laughs> so he sneaks these squirrels back home. Uh, they're smelling up his room, so he sets them on his, his windowsill. He opens the window, breeze comes in. Well, a storm comes in that night and soaks the squirrels and rehydrates them and brings them back to life. <laughs> so now he's dealing with these two squirrels that actually were living in the time of Jesus's time that he was walking the earth and telling stories about, well, here's we were there when he fed the 5,000, and here's what happened. And so it's a very, very comical look at some very powerful stories. And so all of that to say, I'm on that team to, to write that. We will be writing some songs for each show and then writing the score. So I'm in the midst of writing a, a song here and there, because again, it's, it's a long process. And then I'll be writing the score on that next year. Um, I've got a couple other projects that people have said, hey, you know what, I, when, if we get permit, if we get clearance on this, you know, and we get the green light, then we'll have you write, write music on this. And um, I've got a couple of those. I've got some photography coming up. Um, some, uh, some different artists that, you know, have an event or a concert that I'll be doing. 
again, that's not till October. So I just wrapped up several things yesterday. And uh, here's the thing. Here's the world of, of freelance. Uh, you know, I was busy on Superbook for 11 years. That wrapped up last month. I was busy on the most recent VeggieTales of the last two years. And that wrapped up last month. And then I had several other small projects. And I literally sat down with my wife and this morning and said, this is the first time in, I don't remember when, where I literally don't have something to work on, paid work coming up. I've got, I've got a whole list of things that I haven't been able to do because of work that I've been doing as a freelancer. You know, oh, I've got to, you know, talk to the bank about this and I've got to, I've got to get this loan taken care of with my son for college and I've got to do this and this, which I've been putting off because sometimes I'm, uh, I'm working till two in the morning getting all these projects out the door because I literally earlier this week, I had somebody call on a Wednesday, uh, Tuesday afternoon, say, Hey, I've got a little, I've got a minute and a half piece. It's a little story that's going, getting dropped in on a television thing. And we need it Thursday morning. And I, I get a couple of those, uh, several of those each year. So that's an example of, okay, I worked all day Wednesday till two in the morning and, you know, put that out for Thursday morning delivery. So that's one day. Now we're to Friday and I, I literally don't have anything on my schedule <laughs> that's paying coming up. So, um, so that's the world of freelance. Uh, but I've got a whole slew of things. I, I'm not worried because I know I've got, I've got a bunch of fillers, feelers out there. I've got a list of people that I'm going to be reaching out to now that I have a, a day or two of downtime. Cause for all I know, I'll get a call next week saying, Hey, you know, are you available to do this? And I'll say, yes, I am. Or, you know, like I said, I've got multiple things that, that I just need to be going through things that have piled up because I've been so busy. So, sure. So if my listeners want to learn more about you and your music or your photography, where are you found online? Well, I do have a website. It's um, KH, as in Kurt Heineke, KH Studios. That's plural. KHstudios.biz, B-I-Z, KHstudios.biz. Uh, I have an update that it's actually in the process of being updated right now. I'm working with a guy. That's one of those things that I can work on right now. Uh, so it's getting updated. So a lot of the things you'll see there are several years old, but it gives you some examples of both my photography and there's a whole page of musical demos if you want to hear more of my music and that sort of stuff. So so that's that's something for now. You can look up my name on, on YouTube. You'll find some behind the scenes stories and, and things like that. But yeah, that'll that'll get you there is my my website. Fabulous. And hey, listeners out there, whether you are a longtime listener or joining us for the first time here for season three, please make sure you do these two simple steps to help the show be successful. First, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're using, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Just make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. Second, and this is important, if you liked this episode today, please find one person you know that you can share it with. Your support is invaluable to the success of this show. Well, Kurt Heineke, it has been a pleasure. I could talk with you all day, um, but that about wrapped us up today. Thank you for joining me for Movable Dough. Hey, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. My guest today was composer Kurt Heineke. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. <laughs>